G'day and welcome to a special Green and Gold Rugby podcast, the commemorative edition, the royal edition. There is an, another heir to the royal throne that is now in, in line and um, we just wanted to mark that with a podcast. Uh, we thought we'd throw a few people on, see how it goes. Um, we're sponsored as usual by strike.com.au. Grab a cradle to hold your phone in the car from Strike or grab a cradle to hold a royal baby, um, whichever. Um, joining me... I've got Scott Allen, mate. How are you? Mate, I'm good, but I'm just a commoner. I don't know whether I fit in here. <laughs> so um, you're in good company in that case. Although we've got some, <laughs> we've got some rugby royalty coming in, in just a little while. Um, but uh, then definitely uh, not royalty. Mr. Timms, how are you, mate? Did you say definitely not royalty? Because <laughs> that's what has got me most pissed off about this whole thing. He's now the third in line for the throne, which pushes me back. It does it knock you back? I don't know what number I was before, yeah. but I'm one worse now. Are you ahead of Adam Ashley Cooper, though? He's, he's got to be in line there somewhere, isn't he? Well, he's got two names. That's much better than me. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Well, later in the show, we'll talk about uh, what we think the name might be. Uh, for example, I think we've got some ideas on that, um, as you would imagine and, we do. And we're going to cr- have we got your wife lined up because she went to a school that I was wondering where you're going. Someone who <laughs> once knew Diana's sister's uncle's dog breeder's mum teached at. Yeah, yeah. So are we crossing to her for her unique perspective on this magnificent event, or um, yeah, I'll try. And I've, I think I've picked that up by osmosis. I'll see if I can relay that to you. Okay, but cool. but we, we don't have time, mate, because... Uh, no time. Right now, we've got a very uh, special guest to get on. Yeah, right there, right there. So joining me now, I've got the coach of the TARS, Michael Checker. Mate, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Um, you, you've been back almost... Six months now. Does it feel like you've even been away from Australia, or are things a bit different? Things are definitely different. Um, from you know, I was gone nearly close, you know, close on I think nine years. So yeah. uh, things are definitely different. But you know, when you say I've been back six months, it feels like I've packed a lot into that uh, <laughs> that time that I've been back. It's been so busy. You know, it's been like probably the busiest time of my life so far, and. Um, and but it's been very very enjoyable. Yeah. So you, you reckon you've aged a bit more than six months in that time, have you? <laughs> I don't know if you can tell that off the telly or not, just by having a look. <laughs> but uh, no, I've probably put on a few kilos, which is no good. I need to get back into training. <laughs> Mate, I would have thought between France and Ireland. I mean, you know, it must be easy to drop them here, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, it's just different. I think things you get used to being away. I think. Also, as a player, I played in Europe for probably, you know, overall between business and sport and, and coaching or playing and coaching, yeah. I probably spent, oh, so I spent more than half of my adult life in Europe. So it's, it's quite, I've never been at home like I've never lived in Australia with a family and kids yeah. and everything. When I left here, I was single. So, you know, now I've got four small children and wife as well, just quietly. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's definitely a different lifestyle, you know. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, if the, if it means anything to you, Link came back from start and managed to drop a few kegs 
coaching in Australia, so there's precedence for it. You, you might be able to drop a few kilos. <laughs> you, you're not, not back on now. Job. I just wanted it now. I'm not calling fat. <laughs> I don't know. It's, all right. it's across the radio lines anyway, so I can't get to you. <laughs> so yeah. does that mean we're going to see video of you running up the stairs with the boys next year? Well, that was the biggest mistake I ever bloody made, to be honest, because I just did it one day for the sake of it. I thought, oh, I'll just jump in here. I thought I was a tough guy. And then, you know, all players are saying, yeah, here's the coaches running. And then I felt light for the rest of the thing, you know. So I had to do it. I was dreading every day I had to go there and do it. Yeah, but uh, it was good fun, you know. Yeah. They didn't go too hard on me. Yeah, clipboard next year, mate. Uh, stand yeah. at the top, clipboard. Um, all right, mate, look, look, let's get into the hard stuff then. Um, after Timsy welcomed you there with, you know, calling you a bit on the large side. Um, uh, I was misquoted. Uh, <laughs> first of all, mate, what's so you guys must have, ha- I guess, have you had the look back yet at, um, at the season? Have you done a bit of a review? And if so, what's your assessment of the Waratah season? Yeah, like we've, we've done some stuff around the players and, and also the staff on their own around, you know, what have we, what have we been doing well and what have we, what do we need to do? What have we got to stop doing? Because that's, that's no good. You know, it's been a, a massive learning experience for me because coming in, you know, just as the team was about to start training, you know, I really didn't know anything about, yeah. you know, with all the doubts in my head about can the game, I've got working super rugby and I've never been involved. So, yeah, there was a lot of doubt there at first, you know. So, um, I think the, the things that we wanted to do this year, we've taken quite big steps towards doing that around, and I know these, these are common words, but and culture and more, more about atmosphere and, and identity uh, around the team as well. I, I think that um, from, for mine, and I'll be brutally honest, it probably lacked a bit of ownership mm-hmm. in the past. And um, it needs, uh, the whole place needs people to own it more and to look after it for the next crew and the next crew after that and all the people who are, who are in that, mm-hmm. you know, the club rugby, the junior rugby, just put all that stuff together because... Winning alone is not enough, you know, because you're never going to win every year. Mm. So we have to build the proper foundation so that winning becomes a consequence of us doing all the the little things right, both on and off the field. Okay, I think we've gone a long way towards doing that this season, you know. Yeah, no, it it looks like it's made a big difference there. And anyone I've talked to who knows players or any players I've talked to has said that's definitely a, a big change. In terms of the kind of the playing and the and the way the season went with the matches, were there any kind of defining moments or matches for you when you saw either the team kind of kick up or or things you know kick down? Anything that sticks out in your head as you went through the season, or maybe it was even before the matches? I don't know. Well, I think well, I think the game against uh, the Chiefs in Sydney mm. was the start of a block for us where we started. Yeah, and without giving too much away from the locker room, I suppose, when we start talking about building a winning attitude, yeah. I think the reality is that, and this is not embarrassing, it's just the way it is, that you know, no one in our team has won a title. And that, that, that what goes with winning is, is you know, maybe a bit unknown to a lot of our, but to all our players. So we have to start to discover that. It doesn't mean we can't get it. We have to learn what sacrifices we need to make just to become winners because you've got to push yourself to a place you haven't been because you haven't done it before. Mm. 
So post, we had the buy after the Hurricanes game. We sort of had a few good games and a few average games in that little block there at the start. Mm-hmm. Then we had the buy, and when we come back, you know, I said to the guys, we've got to start working on getting a winning attitude, a winning mentality. And it's not just because we say we're going to do it. It doesn't happen. You know, you've got to teach yourself to do it. And you've got to work hard and speak true to your identity on the field, like your playing identity, yeah. and also the values that you espouse as a team off the field as well, how you want to be perceived by not just yourselves and your supporters, by the opposition, etc. So from that game, I think we showed real good work ethic and, and we went into a pretty good run there. We, we had that game... I thought we played quite well at the Bulls and we were unlucky not to get anything. We beat the Kings quite well, came back and beat the Stormers, beat the Brumbies, and then um, we uh, we had a little... We took our foot off the pedal. We had the little dip against Melbourne, I think, and that just shows that we haven't been used to having intensity um, applied and being relentless in the way we approached our game, you know. Mm. We lost that game, we could have had a kick to win it at the end and then we the same happened against the Crusaders the week after. Mm. So we've been competitive right the way from that game. We've been competitive and I think we've been pretty good in most games, but I think we let our mentality down a little bit in the Melbourne game and also in the Reds game, the last game of the season, where we, we played okay in the second half and created mm. a lot of good opportunities, but we didn't have... And I think we're still missing that closer, that killer instinct to be able to go on and say, right, uh, take advantage of the the good things that we're doing, especially in attack. Yeah. Because, I mean, they stick out those last few matches and... What is that? Is that just is it just an attitude, or is there like you know techniques and skills that certain players need to have to to make that happen in that sort of situation? I mean, I would imagine, in, especially in Ireland and in, in the Northern Hemisphere, where you have a lot of those close matches. You know, that's something that uh, some those players seem to have that skill. Is that is that something that is missing in the players, or is it more of an attitudinal thing? No, it comes. I think it comes down to um, you know what you do when the pressure's on, mm. right? And what you go to, and I think in, in it, it, it's in several games this year we won in the last, you know, like yeah. um, against the Blues, a kick after the bell, Stormers, we scored a try late, Chiefs, we scored a try late, we backed the way we wanted to play, so the style that we we we, we wanted to set ourselves this year, and I think that probably where that happens is, is not getting is the idea is you know, to make sure that your opportunities that come. Uh, are taken. So perhaps in the Melbourne game, in the Reds game, uh, we had opportunities that we didn't take and the score shouldn't have been in that situation. In the game for Crusaders, different, I thought. We took our opportunities when they came and we just got into a tight situation where at the end, you know, we had that six minutes worth of scrums and we eventually got the penalty mm. and, and we worked ourselves in a position to win the game and that's no mean feat over there, I think, as you've seen yeah. by what happened to the Reds on the weekend. So, you know, I, I think we're learning and the, about how to do that. We've done it sometimes and we haven't others and the key will be coming to consistently winning those battles, winning those games if they're close, but also taking, more importantly, probably before the opportunities that we're creating taking more advantage because if you look through if you want to be a bit of a statistical geek mm-hmm. right the, the, all the attacking numbers nearly every one of them we're winning right in the whole league yeah. so the, the, there's obviously and our defence it's not too brutal it's sort of in the middle 
So there's obviously improvement, but you know the, that means that that those numbers in themselves should lead to us being higher at the table. So where we're still learning is about having that winning mentality to close games out to the transition periods, you know what I mean? Mm. Taking advantage of the opportunities that come our way to close games out so that they're not left out for the last kick of the game, you know what I mean? Yeah, so mate, you, you've actually, with talking about those crazy stats, because you guys, you know, are outliers, like no one else has run more than 10,000 metres over the season, um, and you guys did, you, you smashed that, and then you talk, you know, offloads, line breaks and the rest, you guys are right up the top. In, 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 Mike, Mike when, when you said statistical geeks there, you've just uh, basically engaged both of those guys. <laughs> you're, you're, in, you're, in, you're in more trouble than when you started running upstairs. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do like, a, we do like the odd, odd number. But, um, I mean, they're, 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 you know, crazy numbers or, you know, big numbers. Is that because you think, look, that style of play is the winning style of play to be out there? Or is there something bigger in that? Is there some sort of learning process you've been taking the team through that going to those extremes is part of? Or, you know, or like I say, is that where you want to be? Yeah, I think that New South Wales teams have run the ball and they've had a bit of it. And in the past, in the recent past, that hasn't been the case much. And what I want to do is take it back to, to the identity, the clear identity, mm. uh, so that everyone's clear about how we're playing the game and that, you know, lo- for, for now, for now, losing our way, playing our way is, you know, maybe on the odd occasion better than winning playing another way because mm. you've got to be true to true to yourself and, you know, that's part of, maybe part of professional rugby that's been lost a little bit, you know, that connection, playing for the people, uh, and, and in a certain style that they want to play. And, you know, I think that, you know, maybe perhaps at the start of the season when I first got here that the staff around place were showing me, like, you know, hate mail that we were getting. And uh, we've had, since, you know, we got into rhythm and started playing, we've had really great support from, and I'm not saying from crowd, from people, you know, just mm. turn, you know, on the street or, hey, go on, this is good, or just random emails on, Stuff like that, you know, it's not going to please everyone all the time, but I think in general, but most of the supporters are proud of the way we're playing the game and understand that if we stick at it and we get really good at it, it can become a winning way as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, w- one thing that I've been wondering is, uh, other than yourself getting up those stairs, who, who surprised you most in the squad this season with their development as a player? Uh, it's interesting, that one. I think obviously... A player like Bernard Foley has really come along in, in, uh, in strides around his, his self-confidence and his, man, his match management, yep. you know, from the start of the year. And I think he played every game, uh, nearly, you know, most of the, the, of the minutes, right? And, yep. and I think he just, he's evolved his temperament as well and his, his confidence in, in, in bossing guys around, which is what everyone wants their father to do. And I think from a play point of view, he's been a, a player who who really, really has come on. I think that um, uh, if if I go back even to the very start, it would go to a guy that maybe you don't expect that from, is maybe a guy like, who's really improved as well. I think he's got like a Cooper, who I think given a leadership role in the team, has excelled and, you know, really evolved himself into being you know, a really good good leader alongside of, of Dennis, you know. So 
uh, there's a lot of small examples of it around the team where guys have improved in different ways and the key is to make each guy try to improve to the maximum of his own potential, you know what I mean? So there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of good surprise to me because I, I think I'll be honest in saying that I probably imagined that I'd be turning the squad around a little bit more than I have than I am going to at the end of the season. All right. So I mean, talking about that and talking about talent and things like that. So obviously, one of the things that's been in the headlines has been the Benji Marshall hoo ha. Um, when yeah. it when it comes to like something like that, you know, like a big name like that. What's your sort of involvement? Are you, you know, right back at the identification stage saying, look, here's a bunch of names we'd be interested in? Or is it something that's a little bit more, someone comes to you and says, hey, look, you know, we've heard from the manager, what do you reckon? And how, how, does, it, how does it work? How, how deeply involved well, are you in that? Every, every situation's a little bit different, you know. Like right. when, um, when, let's, if we want to talk about Israel, for example, uh, I was actually speaking to the agent about when I first got back, looking into the season after about Curtly Beale, mm-hmm. who was the same agent, and then he he mentioned to me about you know Israel. I, I didn't really, I know it's going to sound stupid. I, I didn't really know a whole lot about him because I hadn't been here. Yeah. So, you know, I discovered and learned a little bit more, and then we met and you know got on and those types of things, and it ended up really good. You know, in a case like uh, Will Skelton. I just saw him at a training. Well, we, we went and trained against the Australian Academy and uh, he was smashing guys. So I just said, mate, come over here, you're on this team now. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and it's that simple, you know, it can be that simple. And yeah. we put in, obviously, a guy like, uh, we put in, we put in Tim Kelleher now, he's chief scout, and he's involved in um, developing a scouting system that's going to be, that's going to go statewide. And reach down into um, so we can develop our, you know, that sort of apprenticeship system coming through for players at under 20 level, and, and also then into the wider training squad and into the senior squad. So already since that started, only two or three months ago, we've got our handle on so many more club and junior school players, etc., as well as you know identifying some of the the, the gaps. In, in our profile, in our team's profiles. And there are a couple of gaps that we need to fill. Chex, on that point then, how does that sort of recruitment strategy and development that you're talking about there feed into what's going to happen with your academy next year? And do you even know what's going to happen yet? We're getting some uh, some good feedback from, from the ARU around how it could work. All right? And we're very keen on that happening. We feel that... We want younger players coming through the system not wanting to be professional rugby players but wanting to play for New South Wales. I think that's key. Uh, one thing that's for sure is that um, the, 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 however the model works and how the number of players, etc., come into that system is that uh, we will work with them hard uh, in, in whatever uh, schedule we set leading up across, you know, probably November, December, January, February, March, and then the lead up then uh, to the start of the club rugby season. And once the club rugby season starts, we'll try and drop as much of that technology and know-how in managing those players into the clubs and let the clubs do it. And yet the clubs get some buy-in into the, the process so they're getting some benefits from us. So... Um, so not as much coaching because I think there's good 
good, really good crop of young coaches coming through club rugby now. Um, but maybe through some of our knowledge and, and technology and giving them maybe GPS units and the knowledge of how to use that and, uh, you know, different ideas on their preparation, etc., and making sure that those guys would start to monitor those younger players who are in our sites, in our program, and they're taking responsibility and starting to say, this player is at the level and getting them to buy into the program while they're playing rugby because I think that's important that they're playing games. Well, that's absolutely brilliant. That'll, that'll be fantastic to see. Just in terms of the players you're seeing then, are you, are you seeing that we are developing enough good quality young players and, and are you seeing any areas where we're, we're a little deficient in terms of positions? Um, I think these things can often be be a little bit cyclical. I haven't been back in Australia long enough to know in detail, but what I know is that I, like, I went down, obviously, and looked at the Australian Schools Championships uh, that were played recently down at Riverview, and um, uh, we've been taking a keen interest in several players across juniors and schools, um, uh, and there's some really good talent, really good talent, and take that a step further up if we look into our clubs as well both in grade and in Colts there's players who are just you know they need they're playing good footy and they need to they just need the opportunity to have a crack in a in an environment where they're going to be surrounded by another level of player playing in a tighter uh, uh, maybe a more pressure situation so to see what they've got in that level, etc. And we're trying to do that through giving different players opportunities to come and train with us. And then also um, uh, we're, going, uh, we're going off to uh, play the Pumas for two matches in, uh, in August now, where we've asked um, 10 or 12 uh, players who we've identified through club rugby for different reasons, right, um, to come and show us what they've got with the view to occupying the four, five EPS spots that we still have open in the squad for next year. And so what was the spark for that um, Argentina tour, uh, Jax? Was it, you know, is it development? Is, it, is there something in the squad you wanted to do? Was it something you did as a player? Where did the idea come from? The, opportun- the, the opportunity to play international opposition mm-hmm. is only going to make our players better, number one, mm-hmm. right? We've had a game against the Lions this year and we will be playing... The, the international team is going to play the Four Nations twice. Right? And what it really does for, for the contractor players that are playing international level, that's invaluable experience, right? Mm-hmm. And for the guys who are coming from club rugby, they've been picked specifically for the gaps where the extra contracts are so that we can give... Where we've got, like I said, we've got those five EPS contracts. So... There's players going in the hooking position. There's players going in the lock position. There's players going in the outside back position. And there's players going in the um, half-back position when there's EPS spots open. And I think that that's... Like, like I got the chance to do with Ben Volovolo in the off-season of last year, it was four guys came and trained, four or five guys came and trained for one spot that was open. And he showed that ability through that competitive you know, nature against his peers to, yeah. to, um, to show that he could go up the class. And I think that was a good decision that we made because I think he's had a in the limited opportunity he's had, he's had a good season. And I know, you know, I'm, I'm, 
there, there might be the thing to say, well, um, uh, you know, they should be play, those guys shouldn't be taken out of their clubs uh, for those two games. But I think that we've we've allowed in this season already the amount of um, club games that our contracted players have played is by far and away superior to any other year in the season. And because I come from a club rugby background, I, I want to put back in and make that level better because I know that's where all the players are coming from. Yeah. And I think that the benefit of these guys coming uh, away, and yes, they'll miss their team, their players for a couple of games, for a couple of games, some of them, some of the clubs, is an opportunity for them to show at the next level up. And I think that's what every player wants to do. So... Um, the, uh, the 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 idea that, for example, when let's say the Australian team uh, took the players from us for the camp and we played against the Western Force that day, and, and played that was a real opportunity for a lot of guys who showed up and played, and those same guys are now getting more opportunities going down the track, mm-hmm. and, and that's the way to, to bring guys. I can't if we want, we've got to be able to see guys come through, and we want to use club rugby as our breeding ground. So. If we can't, we have to be able to give them the opportunity to have a crack at a high level to see if they've got it. Brilliant. Okay, mate. Well, look, we've we've already taken more time than we said we would. I must say, I'm I'm pretty tickled by the idea that you were there trying to get like a two for one deal with Kurtley Beale and Israel Falau's agent. Did, <laughs> did you did you manage to hammer him down? If you said, look, if I take both of them off your hands, you know what will you give me? Uh, there was definitely no gift voucher at the back of it. I'll tell you, we didn't get a free <laughs> set of steak knives with it either. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, look, thanks very much for coming on. Great to have a chat with you. Um, um, great no great season. I think I'm still a Waratah supporter. I don't know if Timsy says he is. Mate, I've got my Tars jersey on right now. Have you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, he, he's up in Queensland, you see, Checks. We're never quite sure which side of the fence he's on. Um, but it's been great watching you guys. And I think if there's anything that the one phrase that's come out in our forums and, uh, you know, comments on blog pieces and stuff like that is about the Tars having a red hot go. Um, whether they've won or lost. And I think that's, you mentioned it earlier on, you know, it was about attitude and it's um, been great to see. So anyway, thanks for coming on and, and um, have a great tour. Right, thanks a lot for that. I really appreciate it. Thank uh, you. No worries. Thanks, Chex. Thanks, Cheers, Chex. See you, mate. Bye, right, lads. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Right there, right there. So, um, when we were getting ready for that podcast, I didn't know if uh, checks would be, you know, a bit of a one-worder, um, and also we didn't know four-letter words exactly. Um, what a guy! He was uh, pretty eloquent, wasn't he? Yeah, he was good, wasn't he? Um, gee, the, t- the thing that really grabbed me, that really appealed to me, is the way you know they're looking to use the club system mm. next year as part of their player development. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the way he's approaching that in terms of you know, sitting down with the clubs, explaining what they're looking for, helping them develop not just the players that the Tars are interested, but that'll spread to a wider group as well. Mm-hmm. It builds a really good foundation for New South Wales rugby. Just, I thought that was brilliant to hear that. But, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, we hear about all these different structures that people propose and, you know, all sorts of different stuff. And I guess it really comes down to there's a few key people who need to want to make it happen, and he's one of them, right? Yeah. yeah, and as he said, you know, coming from the club background, he understands the issues. Mm. And wants to put um, back. Yeah. Yeah. And look, that his approach there, and, and hopefully others will do the same in other states, is exactly what was missing with the National Academy that we've had, um, mm. just being in Brisbane and Sydney, where 
yeah, the guys were available to play club rugby, but they really weren't developing as part of a club team. Yeah. And, yeah, they're, they're working in isolation. And, you know, they're, they're, I know they're running semi-opposed sessions, but it's not the same as actually being out, you know, as part of a team and developing a team unit because, as you see in rugby games all the time, you can have the most skilled and gifted players. They've actually got to gel as a team with their teammates. So. Mm. Well, I, mean, I think there's a pretty self-interested piece there as well. I mean, there's a nice byproduct, isn't it? He's just widening, he's widening the pool, right? Um, which is obviously they're doing with uh, what Tim Kelleher's up to as well. Um, and I think, you know, it's something that Link had done in a slightly different way, but, you know, is to kind of leave no stone unturned for people who might have a bit of experience and something to offer. Yeah, and, you know, every, every franchise has got guys out there looking for players, mm. but I'm not sure that any of the others have actually got a full-time scout. Yeah. So Tim Keller's role is chief scout, and he, as I understand, is out there scouring you know the country, mm. not just you know looking at um, shoot shield games. He's out there looking at country games, schoolboy games, and you know and as you can see there, check you know out at the schoolboy championships, having a look at players, mm. having a look at Colts. I mean that that's a massive um, step for a coach to be out there doing, you know, building as you say a much wider base mm. because you never know. You know, guys like, uh, take for example, John Eels. He, he couldn't make his first 15 when he was at school. Mm. Um, and then look what he became. You know, there's, there's stories like there that. There it is. Everywhere. There it is. Yeah. I've been looking for a link, like the similarities between me and John Eels. I've never been as good a rugby player, but I couldn't make the first 15 either. No, either could I, mate. Yep. So there you go. There's still hope for us. Um, it's not true. I did make it, but whatever. <laughs> you, you did, did you mate? I, I made the only fifteen. There was only one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but um, I tell you, the other thing that struck me in that discussion—I um, mean, I don't know who you were referring to, Timsey, when you said some guys, you know, on the podcast who were interested in stats—was um, when he was talking about that. Tar- oh, sorry, I, I do other podcasts as well. Oh, the other one. Okay. I, I got confused. Yeah, yeah. Know where else. yeah the, the would... mathematics one that I do. Yeah. <laughs> the free economics one, because um, yeah. it wouldn't be me and Scott. Um, but you know, I wrote that piece. Was it? God, was it this? This? I think it was last week. Um, I reckon he's read it, and yeah. that's his little way of saying it. he's not going to come straight out and say I love you. Well, exactly. He wouldn't have realised what they'd been doing all season, but then he sees I that know. and he goes, "Ah, oh, yeah, yeah that fits. something to talk about." He exactly. didn't realise that. Yeah, you know, the paths had crossed there. Exactly. Um, but but the bit there was, I guess, and I shouldn't be surprising. But what I was really interested in was the kind of um, his emotional attachment to that way they're talking about of playing and, and the, the deliberate nature of it. I mean, he was basically saying, yep, we've got freaky stats, we're proud of it, and that's how we're going to want to keep playing. Um, I didn't know if there was something like, you know, well, that's just all they could do this season, so that's what they did. But he seemed pretty keen on saying, no, guys, this is our brand of rugby, this is what we're going to be doing, um, which is pretty amazing if that's the case. Yeah, and look, and, and what they're doing is they're showing an intent to attack. Hmm. And and people are loving it. I'm loving it. I reckon it's absolutely brilliant. And I'm, you know, there's a bit of a mood around Waratahs fans that they're on the up and up, and everything's looking positive. Yes, you know, you might grind out the odd win by shutting down and you know kicking a penalty goal at the end. Um, and yes, you know, the the win column might look better, but in the long term, you know, I reckon he's right. It's it's the way to get people interested in rugby is to. Have a crack. That doesn't mean throwing the way the ball. to get them interested in it is fucking give them something to watch. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean throwing the ball to the sideline and playing sevens rugby, but it means being prepared to do things like offloads, which they top the table in. 
you know, and, and that'll lead to line breaks. And yes, you're going to drop the ball a bit, but the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And then you'll play some of the rugby that, you know, we're seeing teams like the Crusaders play. Yeah, no, d- definitely. I mean, my sense is, um, and I could be talking N equals one here, but, you know, I think Waratahs fans are a little bit, you know, more than twice bitten. Um, you know, you know uh, so I think at the moment, you know, people are waiting to see, but I think if they come out another season playing like that, and you can only think they're going to be better. It's um, 2014, mate, year of the tar. In, indeed. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, if they can string a few wings together playing, playing like that, I think it could be very interesting uh, next season. Um, and then, the, I mean, the other bit that he talked about there, which is, I guess, no surprise, but, you know, hearing him talk about, you know, he used the words culture, atmosphere, identity, and how the club had you know, lacked ownership. He also sounded to me like he talked quite broadly there. Um, it didn't sound to me like it was just player group or whatever else. I mean, um, I, I think he was talking about the whole organisation um, was what I took away from what he was saying there. So anyway, um, maybe not all surprises, but it was um, great to hear from him and, and a great chat. So what else have we got to talk about? So a bit of uh, Super Rugby from last weekend. Um, just the one game this weekend. We're coming up next weekend, obviously, yeah. Um, no, so- no, there was, we're, we're only talking about the Brumbies because they won. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to pretend that another one didn't happen. Yeah, that was, I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> um, it, was at a, it was at a funny time at the, at the bottom of the world. Maybe everyone missed it. Um, so, yeah, I caught some bits of this. I was kind of out, at some, you know, we were, I was on my best behaviour at uh, someone's house. Watched the, kind of most of the first half before I left. It was pretty ugly at that stage. Um, Freaking pantsed. When I kept looking back, it didn't seem to get any better. Uh, what kind of go on then? What happened? Give, give it to me. Give me the colourful version, Timsy. Although try and keep this PG if we can. Uh, what, uh, just how horrific was it? Oh, uh, you, you know what it was. The Crusaders were damn good. They they were really good. They there 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 seemed to be stages where they would put on a few points, and they'd almost just settle down, and the Reds would come back a bit, and they go no no. And they put the foot down again, and that was it. They, they were brutal. Uh, th- there's not really much to be said. That, that, that's how it played out. Mm. They were really, really good. Yeah. Scott? Yeah, well, look, in every single area, the Crusaders were that far ahead. You know, the scoreline reflected it. But if you look at it, the Reds' defensive structures broke down. Mm. Yeah, there were guys missing tackles individually, but they weren't working together, and it, it's not... You know, it's not just the back line. There were forwards, you know, Saya Ferenga was uh, one. We, you know, they're jamming in. They've got a guy on the outside. The guy on the inside's ready to make the tackle, and they jam in, and there's two guys on one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you saw White Crockett run past or into the hole that Saya Ferenga used to be. Um, John O'Lance made the uh, same mistake a number of times. They're just, their whole structure broke down. And, and the Reds have been really good defensively this year. And, and a lot of that has got to do with how well the Crusaders were attacking. Mm. I mean, that, they had guys in motion. They had the decoy runners were doing a superb job to draw some defenders in. But everyone was playing their role. Guys were working hard off the ball. And look, in contrast, the, the Crusaders' defence was really well organised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even when the Reds tried, you know, to do something... Uh, the Crusaders just kept coming at them in one solid line. They uh, had they their were, measure, didn't they? Yeah, they weren't falling for decoys. And, and then having said that, the Reds' attack, you know, there were no ball runners offering themselves as options. There were guys static getting the ball. Um, just before, you might remember, uh, Crotty's, um, 
I think it was his second try. In the second half, they ran a decoy play that Kieran Reid took the ball, passed behind Tom Taylor, who ran the decoy line, and that's where I think uh, one of the other Reds players jammed in. The Reds had run that same play 60 seconds before that up at the other end, which the ball got dropped and kicked up the other end. But when the Reds ran it, the decoy, who was uh, Chris F. Sartia, he was five metres ahead of where the ball was, so he was no option. So the Crusaders looked at it and thought, well, he's not getting the ball, so ignore him. Uh, and then he just stood there like a statue. He yeah. didn't. He had no impact on the game, which meant that the Crusaders just kept coming through. So same play, but so much better executed by the Crusaders. Yeah, the, and then, it was just... I mean, it's been a hallmark of the Reds' attack, for except for this year, really, that... They've always had so many different options that could have happened, but it just you, you knew which one it was going to be. So, what? What? Uh, why is this? You know, why is this kind of attack that had everybody in all lathered up and you know, you know, won the whole thing only a couple of years ago? Um, where's Where's it all? Where's it all gone wrong? Got no centres for a start. Um, ben Tapaway, I don't know what's happened to him. His form has just fallen off a cliff. You know, end of last year and this year, um, really struggling at 13. Um, so, you know, the centres this week started out with John O'Lance at 12 and F. Sortier, uh, sorry, uh, Tapawaii was at 13. F. Sortier mm. came in later on to 13 and, you know, he's got lots of potential, but he hasn't been playing there enough to develop. So yeah. when you don't have a midfield, you know, Cooper's got no options. And we know that if guys run lines and run at holes... He'll find them. Um, he only had he only took the ball on ten occasions when they were on the front foot, and actually moved it because you could see he was in position. And every time he'd look up and think, "Well, what's the point?" Because there's a wall in front of us. We have to get something going with our forwards here to suck some players in, get in behind them a little bit, draw a few players in, and then I'll have something. There's a point in me calling the ball. Every time he called the ball, all that would happen was the guy would look up and think, oh, I've got nothing for me, pass it to the next bloke, nothing for me, pass it again. So essentially it came back to the forwards. Not enough impact, um, couldn't get in behind the Crusaders to disrupt their line at all. So they weren't required to have multiple guys in the tackle. Um, they only had to commit to the breakdown when they saw an opportunity, and when they did, gee, they were good at it. I mean, they turned over the Reds 14 times. Jeez which, you know, the Reds have been pretty good, but I think you've also got to look at, apart from the Reds have got trouble in the centres, next year they're not going to have any attacking threat from Digby Yuani. Um, Rod Davies has been good when he's been there this year. He's been an attacking threat. But, you know, a guy like Dom Shipley, who looked like he could be anything last year, he's had a yeah, well, appara- very Apparently that anything is not much at the moment. Yeah, yeah. but, but uh, then you... Yeah, there, there needs someone. There, there needs to be a big signing, someone with some impact. Mate, there isn't anyone to sign. Yeah, that's that's the issue. Um, Maybe the other thing is, well, yeah. well, you <laughs> see, I mean, he he and Gill were the only two uh, that, that actually doing, did something. Yeah. Well, they were doing some ball carrying. Gill yeah. had a fantastic game, but wasn't he great? Yeah, I mean, this year their back row for the Reds has been really good. Yep. Quirk and Shats and Gill, you know, they've all worked really hard, done a lot of work, but really, uh, there's no oh. impact from six or eight. They are sadly missing, you know, Scotty Higginbotham, who was their impact player in the back row. 
Uh, Radeki Samo was there, you know, a fair bit last year. He's obviously gone now, off to Japan. Yeah, he so made the, such an impact when he came on too. You could see what what's going to be missed. Yeah. So the Reds have got, you know, a bit of a pop gun attack really. Mm. And if the forwards can't go forward, and then Quade's got no one to pass the ball to in the centres, it doesn't matter what Will Genia does because he's not going to get opportunities around the rucks because these forwards won't have created havoc. And Cooper can't use his pass, which is his best as- asset, to hit guys because there'll be no one there who's really going to run through the line. So, I mean, this whole year it's been, you know, a pretty steady decline for the Reds. Um, well, I mean, and, you, you know, your point about playing stocks is a good one because it really seems that the Reds have just been managing that player group that was there in 2011. It's just been a slow kind of decay, if you like, because you've just got the natural erosion of players. So, you yep. know, Digby moving on, you know, some big injuries, you know, Radiki, you know, cracking 50 and then going to Japan, you know, those sorts of things, um, which are just going to naturally happen. And if, so if you're not kind of, you know, filling it up with some you know, new sparkling talent, you, you know, you're going to get left with something, um, you know, with a, you know, some pretty, well, maybe some talent that can develop but at this point in time isn't going to really be able to cut it and you know you look at next year and you're kind of wondering where's the sparkle going to come from sure you know you still you still got that halves combination you've still still got big kev but you know there's a bunch of places that are missing there's going to be missing sparkle isn't there yeah absolutely and if you look you know really digby uani has done the majority of the attacking for the reds this year um i mean he's been the guy that has been their go-to for line breaks um, he's, you know, carried the ball an awful lot. And with him not being there, you know, where, where do they go? They have got a lot of good young guys coming in, but um, they haven't bolstered by through recruitment. Um, and, and look, as I said to Timothy a minute ago, there's no one out there that you can go out and recruit. I mean, the only, for example, if you were looking for centres, the only guy that's on the market short of going overseas and grabbing someone is, you know, you could possibly say James O'Connor's a potential centre. Mm. You know, apart from that, everybody's signed up, um, mm. or more young guys, and they, and they take time to develop. So, you know, the Reds, the Reds, you know, might be in a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. Um, well, maybe, yeah, maybe the with IRFU going broke, maybe Bod can come over and finish off, do a year or so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's a centre, isn't he? Yeah, if, if he can get selected, he doesn't get selected for teams these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I meant for the bench. Yeah. So before we move on, uh, I guess the other talking point from this game was the booing. Um, I Ridiculous. Mean, I, I what know. a bunch of... Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to keep it PG here, but yeah. what a bunch of idiots. Yeah. And Israel Dag came out and said it the best. Like, you know, great win, but come on, guys, leave it alone. Did he, did he say... Was that on the ground at the end? No, no he tweeted it. Twitter. No, did he? Yeah. yeah. And, and so the news I don't is, know McCall's... if they've got Twitter, the crowd there, but... Um, Hopefully the word gets out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. McCall's also said come out and started saying, look, that's all over. Yeah. I, I'm not hang up, hung up on it anymore. Uh, everyone else shouldn't. And I notice now there's lots of journalists starting to write and say, look, that's enough. It's, yeah. it's, it's not a good look. It's yeah, not that was the, the way rugby pinnacle should of work. ridiculous. No, it was, it was really sad, actually. It was boring. Mm. Like, it started to get boorish, you know what I mean? Like, mm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I and suppose I, the other t- talking point out of that game yeah. is that um, Will Genia and James Horwell, well, I, they looked like they had the Lions hangover. Everyone else had it the week before. Yeah. Um, I mean, because they were both very quiet. Yeah. It may be, maybe Will's knee is still playing up. We know Horwell had to go off with his calf in ice again. So, 
you know, they, they mightn't have been totally fit, but, you know, it really has disrupted all the Australian teams. Yeah, for sure. That, uh, that mid-season break. Mm. And their fans. Yeah. But take nothing away from the Crusaders. Gee, they were good. Yeah. They, they looked to me they would have beaten most test teams, actually, in the way they were playing. I don't oh, think there's absolutely. a team on the planet that would have beaten them that night. Not on the planet? No. Okay. Not no. even the Lions. There, there's not, one from not Mars. Not even the All Blacks. Mm. Yeah, no, the, the one from Mars probably would have been all right, so you're right about not on this planet. Yeah, <laughs> that Mars rugby team. Um, first 15. The Reds, another Reds. Now, okay, so that was uh, one game. Uh, for a game that didn't happen, we managed to talk about it a bit. Um, <laughs> the other one, uh, another Aussie team that was similarly trialist but managed to win was the Brumbies. Um, uh, defeating the Cheetahs uh, with the Cheetahs missing a goal right, you know, a conversion right on full time, which would have taken it to extra time. So I think it was 15-13 in the end. Um, what about this game? I, I, I will confess I only saw the second half in its entire See, See, you've got the Lions hangover as well. You didn't watch a complete have, game all weekend. No, I'm trying to get up, mate, but, you know, it's hard. Um, actually, I, it, it, it was the timing of it that stuffed me. I didn't, I didn't realise it was going to be an afternoon game. But, um, you know, the, the Brumbies got there in the end. I mean, the Cheetahs have, had a, have been a great team um, all year. And uh, I've got to say, I kind of felt the Brumbies, you know, did enough like a team that's playing well did. Um, uh, how did you guys, how did you take it, Scott? Well, I thought um, the better team lost. Mm. Um Ooh. I mean, I, the Brumbies, they're just not there at the moment. And again, I think that's part of the hangover. The good news for the Brumbies is they've got a lot of improvement in them. Mm. Um, they're just not playing like they were. And look, with the goal, the Cheetahs only kicking one from four goals, the, the Brumbies were lucky to get away with that game. Mm. Um, having said that, you know, they played with intent. Um, the Cheetahs matched them. Um, it, it was a good game of rugby. At the end of the day, I, I thought the Cheetahs, particularly in that second half, they came home with a wet sail. And uh, you know, there was a decision of uh, Strauss, the captain, when he turned down the penalty right in front of the post. I think if he'd taken that, you know, it could have been a very different outcome. But uh, and, and that's, I thought the Cheetahs made a couple of mistakes under for, the pressure there. And for the, the very came... for their very first finals game ever. As yeah, a well, that's what I, was just I mean, say. you know, he's yeah. A, yeah, he'll learn from that. Yeah, but the Brumbies hung tough. You know, they got a young yeah, group did. as well. So, you know, at this stage of the season, it's not about how you win and how many tries you score, even though I suppose you'd have to say it's a bit of concern that no Australian team could score a try on the weekend. Yeah. Um, it is about the win. They got the win. So, yeah, it's fantastic. But, you know, look, the Brumbies, as part of, I think, the hangover for Australian teams, their lost possession on the weekend, 38% of the times they had the ball, they lost it. Which is a it's yeah, it's nearly a, it's nearly fifty percent up from their season average. So I'm no numbers geek, but that's terrible. Yeah, and look, the biggest increase that they had was in their handling errors. Mm. So that that tells you that it's not the opposition, you know, taking more ball off them at the breakdown like it it's was a with the Reds. Mental application thing, isn't it? Well, and and combination, you know, they just they need to get back into it. So now they've had two games together. Let's hope they're a lot better this year. Um, look, the one thing that was very good, their scrum was really good. Well, I was going um, to bring you to that because they turned that into a deadly weapon, didn't they? There was some pretty amazing stuff. Scott Seo was having a blinder. Well, Scott Seo had a great time, but then again, you've also got to look at the cheaters and you've got to look at Connie Oosthuizen, mm. their loose head, mm. who was... Did you see him up the side of Alexander? Yeah. <laughs> 
you can imagine how much push you get when you're alongside someone. You're trying to pull them with your arms. I mean, if you were the coach, you'd just be saying, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Now, because the, yeah. The, then the Brumbies were able to use it as a weapon. So yeah, you it, know, that gave them a good platform. It looked to me without the benefit of replays and stuff. I mean, uh, Benny was uh, doing some of the similar stuff he'd done to uh, that, that Lions uh, prop, what was his name, um, in the second test. Um, you know, without managing to get him sheared off the scrum, basically. Uh, Vernon Polar. Yeah. 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 It looked like the same trick was working there. But, I mean, I mean, to your point, though, I mean, as a weapon, they, I mean, that's what kept them in the game, right? I mean, they were booting goals uh, with, with the scrum. Well, they got penalties out of it. They also mm. got field position. Mm. And, you know, they put the cheaters under pressure. Mm. So, yeah, that was a good performance. Um Look, the ball scrum that they're going to be up against this week hasn't been particularly fantastic this year, yeah. which normally you would expect they'd be one of the best. And, you know, in terms of what they've been able to win this year, they're well down the table. So if they scrum well again, and, and you're right, Scott Seo was just fantastic. He, he's going ahead every game he plays. He gets much, much better. Mm. Um, the line out, you know, a little bit rusty there. Um, they lost three, and, and all of them were... I won't say they were poor calls, but they certainly, um, they were, and I won't call them lazy calls either, but they, they just, just went up like, oh, we'll win this. And the cheaters competed. Well, we know the Bulls will compete. So, Damn straight they will. Okay. I, I think set piece is going to be a bit of a harder battle this week. Okay. Well, look, let's power onto that. So next weekend we've got uh, Brumby's Bulls, and that's in... Um, uh, Pretoria. Pretoria, and I think it's like one in the morning. Yeah, five Sunday past morning, one or something, something silly. Um, so it's going to be for the for the hardcore. Um, interestingly, I think all of us go. Oh, it's a hard place to go to. It's altitude and everything else. But there's a few guys like Blue, who is a um, out and out staunch bull supporter, um, but also a fairly sane one in our forum, and he's not feeling happy about it. Yeah, there's he, not many of those around, is there? No. So. Um, he doesn't. He seems to. He, he doesn't seem to be feeling uh, confident. I think he mentioned the same thing you did there, Scott. Is their um, uh, scrum troubles that they've got? So it's going to be. It's going to be fascinating though to see the Brumbies with their, you know, kicking game in um, in Pretoria at altitude to see what kind of happens. Yeah, and look, I think uh, if they play like they played on the weekend, I can't see them getting there. Mm. But as I said, I think most positive thing out of it is that they're a long way away from where we know they can play mm. so it's not like they've played their best and are only just hanging in there so there's a lot of improvement um, they got on the plane early and went, I think they flew out Monday so that they get as much time to acclimatise as possible uh, the interesting thing that came out of that, uh, that game on the weekend was that you talk about the kicking and we know that the, the Brumbies you know, base their game on a kicking game, play as much territory as they can you know, they actually kicked less on the weekend than any other team in the finals of the four teams that played. Get out of town. So, yeah, I mean, they kicked 17 times. The Reds were 19, yeah. Cheetahs 25, and Crusaders were the highest kick 29. So yeah. that could also be a big part of it. You know, that we know that they're normally one of the highest kicking teams. Mm. This week, they're the lowest of the four. So, you know, maybe that's just where they're just a little bit out of sorts. When they're at altitude, no doubt they'll be kicking again, and that's that suits their game. Yeah. So maybe they're just a little away from where they want to be last week. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, God, you just talking about kicking gave me a flashback to that Reds game in the first half, just watching the guys boot it down Israel Dag's throat. 
um, <laughs> just thinking of what are you doing <laughs> and, and, and doing it so many times you thought this is either just pure panic or it's some sort of a strategy gone awry. Anyway. Um, yeah, the, the problem when you're kicking to the uh, Crusaders is that normally there's Dan Carter back there. Mm. So if you miss Dag, you'll hit Carter. Or somebody like Tom Marshall, who's their leading try scorer. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there was obviously some thinking that had gone on there, but I, I couldn't figure it out because um, they tried it quite a few times and it was pretty deadly. Yeah, hey, did what did it. you make of Jake White's comments before the game where he was already making plans for this game against the Bulls? They'd already made their travel plans, you know, and he's talking about, you know, he's saying, well, look, the Australian way seems to be, oh, one game at a time. It's, no, no, I'm, I'm working on the basis we're going to win this game and I'm getting ready for next week. Yeah. I like it. I like the cut of his jib. Do you think he's just telling the truth because no one else does think one game at a time? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's probably more it. <laughs> um, yeah, as if you don't. Um, oh, yeah, oh, who's it happen to be next week? Oh, yeah, the Bulls. Oh, let's have a think about that. Can, can we get an earlier flight? <laughs> Um, alrighty. So yeah, well, so then the other team, the other the other game is going to be the Chiefs holding the Saders. Now it was only a couple of weeks ago that the Saders absolutely pants the Chiefs, didn't they? Um, yeah. But I mean, I guess the Chiefs knew that they, you know, they had their finals booked already, so it'll be. Well, a bit no, they different. didn't that night. Didn't they? No, you see that night the the Crusaders had to get a bonus point right. and hold the Chiefs to no points to keep alive the prospect of the Crusaders winning the. Um, the conference, uh, right. and and they went out and did exactly that. They went out and got their bonus point and held the Chiefs to zero points. So you know, in a pressure situation, that then meant that the the Chiefs had to do something in the last round mm. to win the conference. So, God, the dark side is strong on them. Um, <laughs> can we see? Um, so look, I, just kind of recapping uh, Brumby's Bulls. Um, I, this, what I was sensing from just about everyone there was there's a good chance here, but weight of probability is with the Bulls. Yeah, I think so. Timsey. Yeah, it's the Bulls to lose. Mm. Okay, I think uh, I think if the Brumbies can pull out something like they did against the Lions, um, you know, and with some of their big guns firing, who, who knows? But that's a tough, tough game to that one. It's such a natural advantage the Bulls have whenever they do that. Um, yep. Chief Saders, what are we going to say here? This could be an absolute ding-dong. It's going to be a cracker, isn't it? Like, like you can watch it without any emotional investment because yeah. you don't really care yeah. either team. But th- these derbies tend to be, they yeah. throw it all at each other. Mm. They don't hold anything back. It's going to be a fucking corker. Oh, yeah. So, Scott, you and I had a, uh, we had a chat on Twitter around the, their origin, and I know you were saying, look, origin's one of the hardest matches out there, I think a match like this is, in terms of intensity, and I'll even say toughness... Did you mean hardest as in, like, physically hardest, or hardest to actually sit through? (laughs) 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 See, I would contend that this, a clash like this, no matter what happens in it, because, you know, even if there's, even if it ends up being, you know, 11-9 or something... It won't be be 11-9, there'll be at least seven tries scored. 111-91. Um, you know, is going to be a ding-dong. I mean, how, how do you see it? Well, I, I say it'll be a, a more entertaining game than the State of Origin because I, I think there'll be more attack in the game. Uh, I don't think it'll be as hard as the State of Origin for one reason, mm-hmm. and that is the ball was in play in that State of Origin game for 74 minutes. Yawn. That's, 
that's seventy four minutes of belting each other, and they, and they hit pretty hard there. Compared belting, to- the only thing that was good about Origin ever was the fights, and now they're ridiculous. Yeah, they've replaced them with streakers. C- compared to, we'll have thirty two minutes of rugby with the ball in play in this game. Yeah, As we do every- see that's where you're that's where you're letting your numbers cloud you. It might be in play, but they're just. Going one out, run up, get tackled, do yeah. that five times, kick it. Boring. Yeah. <laughs> At least you don't know what the hell's going to happen. Yeah. It's fucking great. I'll take 34 minutes of rad over <laughs> 74 minutes of boring. Um, so I think it's tougher physically to play for that long um, with the intensity of hit. It must be but tougher look, to play. I, I think I cue that low for that long. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't know where this is coming from. <laughs> I think uh, this is going to be... This would have to be the game of the season. Mm. I would be shocked if this turns into a bore fest. I, I reckon we're going to see some really entertaining rugby. Yeah. The skill level of both teams. Um, and, and I guess the thing about ru- any rugby game, but particularly this game, is that you don't have you know the stoppages to have a rest at scrum time. Mm. Uh, I'll, have... I'll say that there's three more games left in this season. This will be the best one. Yeah, and look, and I'm cheering for the Crusaders because, yeah. it, well, look, if, if the Crusaders get up, there is the possibility that yeah, the Brumbies sure. could get a home final if they can then pull off a win. So, but if the Br- you got a the- ticket booked to Canberra, are you thinking more than one game ahead, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> no. And, no. And, and who hosts who if the two favourites get through here? Uh, so the Chiefs. Ch- Chiefs host. Chiefs, yeah. If the Chiefs win, then the final's at, in Hamilton. Okay. So even if the Brumbies win later on, doesn't matter. They'll they'll have to go to Hamilton. So we've got to cheer for the Crusaders because then later on that night, the Brumbies have got a chance to bring another home final to Australia. Okay, and, and they're the, always a good time. Is that the way it runs? Then is it like five thirty in the afternoon on Saturday, and then like one in the morning? Is it? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so go to the pub for the first game. Wait there until the next one. Bloody hell! Yeah, you get pubs close in Sydney now. Before then, get kicked out. Um. Rightio, so there you go. And I've got to say, I think the weight of probability is probably with the Satyrs. I just always think just because they have, you know, they can change up their game so much. You know, they can play it wide, wide, or they can truck it up the guts, or they can kick to the corners. They can do just about everything. Um, well, I'll give you some stats, Matt. Mm-hmm. So I know you love your stats. So, section <laughs> time. <laughs> if you look, if you look at the season, we got any music for this? <laughs> if you look at the season, as in, you know where teams played with the ball when they had it. Mm. The, there are two teams in the comp that more than 40% of the time played wide of the ruck, you know, and that'll be at least one pass. You know, um, The Waratahs are the second team, and they're at 40%. Um, the top team is the Crusaders at 45%. So 45% of the time they are playing wide. Mm. Last week against the Reds, 61% of the time, they ran the ball, they played wide of the ruck. So they're just, they're sort of hitting a sweet spot where they're just moving the ball and, you know, I think that's why it's going to be a really entertaining attacking game. And that doesn't mean moving it to the wing. As I said, it means two passes, run at the midfield. While the other team's still realigning, go again, mm. you know, move the ball. So... Yeah, no, it's amazing. The, the, the way they, their reshuffle or realignment is just outstanding, um, no matter what they're, what they're doing or how they're doing an attack or defence that kind of allows them to sustain that, isn't it? Um, right, so there we go. That, that's, that's our preview. Um, what else? The last thing we've got to talk about, uh, probably the most important thing, there'll be people hanging on for this, 
Um, That's names. probably the only reason they're listening. Names, gentlemen. So for this uh, royal heir, um, uh, who, who do we have? Tim, well, did you well, have? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that George is the, the, the was the front runner, but uh, after the Lions series, I think Lee's moved just in front. <laughs> so it was you know getting getting a bit excited, sitting up and at all hours in Barmy, England, uh, watching the uh, watching the Lions do the job. Yep. George North. So you reckon he's, he's most likely? Um, Scott, if you got... Uh, mate, I've got a couple of outsiders for you. I, I think there's a, a fair chance that it could be Kirtley or Quaid. You reckon? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? Well, def- Somewhere, somehow? It definitely won't be James. James isn't very popular at the moment. I can no. tell you that. Um, I reckon Israel, mate. You know, he, he walks on water, can do no wrong. Um, leading, you know, leading his people to the promised land in Israel Folau. Um, uh, but uh, most likely none of those. I understand Stephen. Did you know this, Timsy? You might be a bit outraged by this. Stephen, I am already. S- Stephen is banned. Not allowed. What? Yeah. Not allowed to have Stephen. Oliver and Stephen are the two names. Why? So you guys wanted some inside info here from my there years in Tommy Land. Here, you're getting it now. Why is it banned? I'm so, interested. It's like Oliver Cromwell, right? Who, um, yeah. who uh, beheaded a king. And then, yeah, Stephen, apparently, I can't tell you the, the date uh, or the which Stephen of what he was, but um, was such a crap king that ever since him, um, they've not had another one, and, and it's tradition not to. So there you go. Oh, how's it spelled? So that's why you can never be can, king. Can you king spell Timothy. it the other way? Or? That's why you can never be Tim, yeah, king. Uh. And, you, and you actually thought that you were... Four hundred millionth in the world in line. Yeah. Well, you were never not disqualified. There. Ruled out. I would have got to the front of the line, and yes, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, nah, next. Take <laughs> it to the European. Devastated. Take it to the European High Court. And yeah, say, surely there's some discrimination exactly. about that. It's against my human rights to be a monarch. Oh. <laughs> and I, I can't believe we've given it this much airtime on the podcast. I woke up this morning to watch the news right. while I was having breakfast. What news? Apparently well, there was th- a kid born. There was nothing else happened in the world. <laughs> 38 minutes after I turned on to start watching the news, well, I got some news. Apart uh, from the royal baby, I was just going, oh, I can't believe this. What yeah. was the news? That apart from the royal baby, that the royal obstetrician said, oh, lovely baby. <laughs> the way out. <laughs> um, did you see there's the pri- Private Eye, which is like a su- um, satirical magazine in the UK. Their, their headline is, Woman Has Baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Onion did a pretty good one too. I forget what it was, but yeah, the, they brought out something good. Yeah. There you go. Go and look it up. I'm not, I'm not even going to steal the punchline. <laughs> All right, fellas. Look, good to talk to you. Take it That's easy, office. and we'll um, we'll catch up next week. And you, and thank God we avoided talking about the ashes. Oh, that's that's not hard. Um, all right, everyone. See you guys. Have a good weekend. See you next week. All right. See you, bud. Right there. Right there. Right there.